0: we uh we go to the book of romans Uh, i want to remind you quickly of the historical context of the book of romans uh paul who grew up as a jew uh matter of fact paul uh what i found was i went had an opportunity to go to israel a few years ago and what i found out was that at five years old that jews became students of the text uh at five and so at five years old what they would do is uh, they will begin to learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, word for word. So when they come to their 13th birthday and they come before a bar mitzvah, they have a bar mitzvah in the community amongst their family and other people within their community, and they will quote uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, word for word. And so Paul, being a Jew, he understood um, the text. He understood their, their their concept of the Judaism religion that came from the Jewish background, he was an expert on it, and so as we go into the book of Romans, we want to understand the context that came with it. Paul uh, himself you know he, he served as a, a prosecutor and a, and a persecutor of Christians of Christianity. Uh, he went around uh, making sure that Christians were put to death uh, and then we will see in, in, in Acts chapter nine when he had an encounter with Jesus Christ on his road to Damascus, and and, and it it severely changed his life because he was converted to Christianity. And instead of becoming a a prosecutor of the Christians, he became one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith. Uh, In the first few chapters of Romans, Paul is doing something to level the playing field for all of the people he was in communication with. Uh, In chapter 1, he talks about how a man without any kind of religious background, talking about uh, uh, the pagan Gentiles in specific, how they are terribly sinful. That's what was going on in chapter 1. And, 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 and I, can, I can think about as he's writing these words, I'm sure there were some Jewish Christians uh, within that context that he was talking to that was saying, that's right, Paul. Give it to them. Those old terrible pagan Gentiles. Y'all don't know nobody like that, Right? The word is for everyone but them. I can imagine that what was happening in, in, in chapter one and in chapter two, uh, he puts the mirror in their face and he comes down hard on the religious people, uh, those who were who were trusting in the outward religions. I, I believe uh, pastor called it religiosity. They were trusting in the outward religiosity and rituals and thinking that it was those things that can save them. Uh, they were, they were thinking that uh, they were living in a, in a posture of a redeemed life because they practiced the rituals that came along uh, with their beliefs. And so for, for us today, uh, what does that mean for us today? I, I believe sometimes we can find ourselves in those same positions when it comes to our cultural or denominational backgrounds and things of that sort. Uh, people that are, are, are attending church or, or small groups or, or things like that, when we began to look down on people that may not worship the way that we do. that what was happening in chapter 2. And then this is what leads us to today's message, where Paul combines these two chapters to communicate a definite point to the Jew and to the Gentile, that everyone... Stands guilty before a righteous God. And therefore, no one is exempt from his righteous judgment. What the Apostle Paul was doing in this chapter, and we're going to get to the text, but what the Apostle Paul was doing in this chapter is using a great teaching tactic. He was having an argument on paper, with himself, but with someone that would have disagreed with him. Because Paul had this great legal mind, and he is defending Christianity. He steps into the role of people who would have objections to Christianity. I think we all know somebody like that, right? People that go out of their way To reject Christ altogether. People who actually believe that all people are not sinners and in need of a Savior. And so Paul was going out of his way to have these conversations on paper. And as we began to look at the text, what we would see is that we would see in Paul's writings that he's, anticipating all the questions, that he's presenting the objections and then giving answers to them all. And in biblical training, we call this apologetics, defending and establishing the Christian faith. Now, let me remind you, in, in, in the end of uh, chapter 2, Paul had just told the Jews that having The law does not justify a person. It is in keeping the law that justifies one. That circumcision has no value. That it is in circumcision of the heart, in spiritual circumcision, that God really counts. Therefore, if a person is really walking after the spirit, though he may not have the physical right of circumcision, that God still counts what is in his heart. If circumcision doesn't really do anything for me, if having the law doesn't do anything for me, as by far giving me a righteous standing before God, then I believe the question would naturally arise. And this is what leads us to chapter three. If you have your Bibles, let's read. It says, what then advantage has the Jew? Or what advantage? Or what value, what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true. And everyone were a liar. As it is written... That you may be justified in your words, and you may prevail when you are judged. But what if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God? What shall we say? That the judge is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in human form, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory. Why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderly, slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. And so as we see, we see questions going back and forth. There was, there was a few questions, and Paul uh, was anticipating these questions, he was anticipating the objections, and then he bege- began to give answers to them. And the first one he says, the first question he has is, what advantage is it to being a Jew? You just told us in the end of chapter 27 that uh, there is no, there is no, uh, the circumcision doesn't do anything special for you. Um, if, I, if, I, the, the, if I haven't been circumcised at a heart in Earlier in chapter 2, you said there's no partiality uh, with God. And so they asked a legitimate question. What is the purpose of being a Jew? What advantage is it? So uh, if if Paul gave one answer in verse 2, he said much in every way. To be a Jew meant that you had the beneficiaries of the covenant with God himself. That you were the race through whom the Messiah would come. And Paul says every way, but he focuses on what he considers to be the greatest advantage of being a Jew. Paul said you've been entrusted with the oracles of God. The word oracle Is a special word that means finished, written down, revelation of God. Paul is saying that the Jewish people have the very words of God, and basically because they have the very words of God, they've been given the advantage of other people. Because they have the very words of God, they've been given an advantage to walk in understanding and to walk in the wisdom that God gives us and that God gave them as followers of Christ. The Bible says in Romans 15, 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He has given them hope before they realize or before the world even realized that hope was available. Do you realize that? He's He's given the Jews this great advantage of having his word. And because they have His word, He's given them hope, but not only did He give them hope, he gave them a responsibility in communicating this hope to the world that's around them. God has entrusted the Jew with His word for them to have responsibility of communicating the, the world, communicating to the world around them, His word. In fact, we owe the Jews. Uh, We're indebted to the Jews because he left them with his oracles. They carefully provided his words for us. They protected that word. When When they would transfer the scriptures, what they would do is they would write the text letter by letter, and one person would look over that letter and then transfer it over, and if one letter was ever messed up, what they would do, no matter if it, was months in, if it was, took months to be able to get these things down, what they would do is they would tear it up and start it all over. Because it was so important to them that this, wor- this word was protected. And because of them, we've been carefully passed down the oracles of God. And so some of you may say, well, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean for us? How is that, how is that good news to us? Well, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. Because as children of God, as the church, the Ecclesia, the called out ones, he's given us and entrusted us with his word as well. And he's provided us this, this word that is not just for our benefit, but it's for the benefit of others. And so he's entrusted us with this word that we may use his word to be a gift to the world around us. It was through his very words that he called his church. The ecclesia, the sent out one. He's he's called us out of this world to equip us with his word to send us back out into a world to be hope on display. Let me rewind that and play that for you again, Hope Church. He's called us out of this world to be equipped with his word to be sent back out into the world to be hope on display. And so, if they were entrusted with the oracles of God, and they were passed down to us to help us walk in this life that we would have known nothing about, then we should be able to do the same thing. Because as people of God, we've been entrusted uh, with—thank you, Holy Spirit, I feel you—we've been entrusted with his word to live this out to a dying world. They had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That's what they studied, and they became scholars in. But he's left us the Bible, the basic instructions before leaving earth, the inspired word of God. And he's trusted us with this, that we will not just keep it to ourselves, but that we will become students of the text. And not only become students of the text, but we will live this out in our lives for a dying world that's dying to know what this is all about and he knew that when we would go out into the world that there will be people waiting with objections i I'll never forget i remember going to starbucks and i was sitting in starbucks in, in in california this was in long beach and and i would go and i would read my word because what it will force me to do because Starbucks will be so crowded, it will force me to draw out everything that's around me and focus in on what it is the Lord is trying to tell me. And I remember I was sitting in Starbucks and this guy comes and sits next to me and he's pulled out these tarot cards. and He's just shuffling them and shuffling them in my face. I said, how you doing today, brother? Oh, he said, man, I'm, I'm good. I'm just too busy trying to be Jesus right now. I said, man, you must plan on dying and and rising again on the third day. But there's a world around us that's constantly looking for ways to object that Christ is even alive. And Paul said, because I've been built up in this word, because I understand the grace of God, because it was through grace that they had this advantage. It was through grace that they were a chosen nation. It was through grace that they left the oracles of God to these people. It was through his grace. And Paul is one that understood the grace of God like never before. And Paul said, I'm not going to run from this, but I'm going to step into it. Now, my question to you guys today is how many of us are willing to step into those things? A lot of us do not share the word that God has left us with because we worried about the objections that may come with it. Well, I'm not the pastor. I I, I don't know the word like that. Well, we've been called to this thing called Christianity. And if we've been called to this thing called Christianity, then we should be willing to step into it. And so Paul said, I'm not going to run from this. I'm going to exercise this apologetic, I know what culture I'm dealing with. I know everything that I'm dealing with that's before me. And so I'm going to step into it. And so here here it is. Church, we've been called out to be sent back. (laughs) When the missionary uh, uh, Stanley Jones met Mahatma Gandhi, he asked Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ, why is it that you appear to be so adamantly reject him as a follower. And Gandhi replied, he said, oh, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are unlike him. He said, I love Christ. It's just so many of y'all are not like him. Now, if God has called us out of the world, to be equipped amongst the body of believers, to be sent back out into the world, to be hope on display. My question to you, church, is what do they see? And so the, 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 the call to Christianity should not make us feel superior to anyone. The call of Christianity should make us feel responsible because he sent us out to be hope on display. And so I'm not walking into a place with this badge of honor, puffed up, shoulders up. I'm a Christian. If anything, I'm coming in a humble position. How may I serve you? How can I put your needs before my very own? How can I display the character of Christ everywhere that I go? That's what we're called to do because we've been called out to be sent out. The greatest advantage that we have as a true Jew, one who who faith is in Jesus, one who accepts the finished work of Christ, is that we've been entrusted with the Word, we've been entrusted with this Bible. And it's not for our own benefit, but it's for the purpose of honoring and cherishing the word of God that we can unapologetically communicate the good news to a lost and dying world. And we can communicate it not with just our lips, but with our hearts and with our lives. If I was in the missionary Baptist church back in Compton, California, this would be the time I would say, could I get a witness here? Because God has called us to be a light unto the world. To be the salt. To come into company with people that may not follow Christ and it be something about you that makes them thirsty for more. Not uh no Christian folks. Want nothing to do with yeah, them, right? Christian folks. But the Bible tells us in Luke 12 48, to whom much is given. Much is required. And from him who they've been entrusted much, they will demand more because we've been entrusted with this word, because we stepped out on a limb and said that we believe it and gave ourselves the the adoption into the family of Christianity, then there is much required of us. He demands more of us. And I can just imagine Paul writing these questions. He says, so what what if some were unfaithful? which all Jews didn't believe there were many who renounced any religious belief he says does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God Paul replies by no means let God be true though everyone were a liar that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged he quotes scripture right out of Psalm 51 when David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and even though David sinned against man and man was the victim, David realized that his ultimate sin was against God, and therefore, he expected God to rebuke him and was willing to accept whatever verdict came along with that. Because David knew that God's word was true, and it was just. And one word synonym for truth is reality. Justified means to be proven right. And what Paul is saying, that God's authoritative word is reality. And it will prevail in judgment. Man will not be judged by what men say. That's why we adopted a saying in my house that what men have to say about me is none of my business. Because men don't have a heaven or a hell to put me in. And so whatever man has to say, I don't care because I can't be judged by what man say anyway. We can only be judged by what God says because he has the final authority. And it's in his judgment to the standard of his word that God judges us. And so what Paul is saying that uh, this is the way things really are. And the way things that really are is what God says in his word. Uh, What man says isn't. Paul is saying that sin is what God says sin is. That salvation is what God says salvation is. That salvation is received by the way that God says that salvation is received. That heaven or hell is what God says it is. That the final judgment lies on him. And he's saying that that is reality. And anything that disagrees with that reality based on the word of God is a lie straight from the pits of hell. So what is ultimately being declared is that when God speaks, that he is right. That he is justified in his speaking. He is righteous in his judgment. And so it goes on to say, but what if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God what shall we say that God is unrighteous to to inflict wrath on us I speak in a human way by no means for then how could God judge the world but if through a lie God's truth abounds to to his glory why am I standing being condemned as a sinner And why do evil that good may come? Why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us saying, their condemnation condemnation is just. In other words, (laughs) Paul didn't even address this one. He basically said, if that's your way of thinking, you're condemned anyway. if I was to give you a title for today's message, it would have been grace misunderstood. Because they didn't understand the grace of God. Because if you understood the grace of God, that don't make you want to sin. That make you want to worship a holy God that has pulled you From death and has given you life. There's nothing about that that says, I want to go out and sin against God because He's going to forgive me anyway. If anything, it makes you want to worship. They didn't understand the unmerited favor, the kindness, the generosity that the Lord had provided to them. Church, I plan, my prayer is that that not be us. That we would truly embrace this grace that's been given to us, that's been imparted to our lives, so that we could worship our holy God before our onlooking world. And believe it or not, it starts with us. That's why when I come to Hope Church, I'm so encouraged because I never understood the beauty of diversity until I came to a place where it wasn't much of that happening. And I come into a place like this and all I can say is thank you, Jesus. You are moving in the hearts of some believers that are not satisfied with the status quo. And so, when we understand these things, we're not thinking, I want to go out and see him. We're thinking, how can I worship God more? How can I give my life away so other people could experience the same grace that I've experienced? One thing about grace is grace is not selfishness. Grace and blessings are going to extend from yourself to all of those you come in contact with. I think the problem is, is when people don't recognize what they've been saved from and what they've been saved to. I can give my life away because I understand what I've been saved from. I embrace what I've been saved from. And I know what I've been saved to. See, you guys see the Nate Hill that's standing before you on this stage. You see the Nate Hill after I realize and recognize what I've been saved to. But you don't know the Nate Hill who grew up with both of his parents on drugs until the age of 16 years old. You don't know the Nate Hill that joined the Crips at 12 years old. You don't know the Nate Hill who three best friends got, got uh, sentenced to 25 to life in prison when we were 16. And the only reason I'm not there with him is because I was somewhere else on that day. See, you, you don't know the Nate Hill that, that recognizes what he's been saved from. You don't know the Nate Hill who watched his dad come into relationship with his uncle who was a pastor, and my dad surrendered his life to Christ. You don't know the Nate Hill who watched his father have one encounter with Jesus Christ and his life changed like that. No AA, no rehab. One encounter with Jesus Christ and his life changed. You don't know the Nate Hill that watched my dad's life change and because of his salvation with Christ and him giving his all to Christ, my mom's life was changed. You don't know the Nate Hill that didn't uh, know how to be a father, that didn't know how to be a husband until I was surrounded by some men of God that raised me up and discipled me and showed me the truth of his word and showed me what a real man do. And so I know what I've been saved from. And it's because I understand the grace that was on my life. I have no desire to ever look back unless I'm pulling somebody out of that. so you, you want to know what you've been saved to as believers in Christ. This is what you've been saved to, to love, to joy, to peace, to patience, to kindness, to goodness, to faithfulness, to gentleness and to self control the Bible says against such things there is no law they were trying to figure out how to keep the law and make sure people was boxed in to the law but when you find Jesus the law happens automatically so there's no need for you to box yourself in. Because this is what we've been called to church. We've been called out to be equipped for the work of the ministry that the kingdom may be built up. You know, there's, there's two kind of preachers. There's preachers that make much of themselves and then there's preachers that make much of Jesus. There's two kind of Christians. It's Christians that make much of themselves, then there's Christians that make much of Jesus. Because I've understood what I've been saved from, and my prayer is that you understand what you've been saved from, is that we will be found guilty Make it much of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. So that everywhere we go, dark places are lit up because you sent some Christians there. Father, we thank you for Hope Church. We pray for this leadership because they're doing something that is unfamiliar to a surrounding community. Why people may not understand. I pray that they are drawn here. That you can break down walls. That you can break down divisions. That through relationships, through proximity to one another, your gospel is made manifest in the city of Tyler. Our greatest apologetic is unity and love amongst the body of Christ. So, Father, we thank you for this day. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. You thank God for, uh, listen, it's rare that I'm at a loss for words, because I always have something to say.